You're listening to the Faith Matters Podcast with Steve McKinley. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I trust that you had a blessed resurrection weekend and that you were able to set aside a little bit of time to think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for your life. And today I want to share with you some evidences for the resurrection. And I do want to say, first and foremost, that we don't primarily believe the resurrection because of historical evidence. We believe it because God said. God said it, and that settles it for us Christians. But that's not to say that that there is no historical evidence to corroborate what God has said. There is some evidence, and I want to share four evidences with you today. And all of these evidences come from the Bible itself. And so the first one is the evidence of the four Gospels. Evidence number one, we have four unique accounts of the resurrection uh, story. And these come from writers who were eyewitnesses of the event, at least three of them. And we have Matthew, Mark, and John who were eyewitnesses. They were with Jesus. They were his disciples during, his, during Jesus' life and ministry. They saw Jesus crucified, and they knew that he was placed in a tomb, and then they saw him after his resurrection. So those three were eyewitnesses. Luke, on the other hand, was not an eyewitness. He came along a little bit later. But Luke is a very unique figure. Um, He was a highly trained man. He was a physician, and he wrote for us here in Scripture the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And the style that he wrote in was kind of this high Greek literary style. And so he was not an ignoramus He was a well-trained, highly intelligent man, and in fact, he's known for getting his facts, his uh, names and locations correct, down to the smallest detail. Um, He is widely considered to be a careful and meticulous historian. In fact, there was a Scottish archaeologist back in the early 1900s by the name of William Ramsey, And uh, he started out as a skeptic, and I believe he wanted to uh, retrace Luke's steps as uh, Luke uh, told about his travels around Asia Minor. And so Ramsey actually traveled around with Luke's writing of Acts, and what he noted was that detail after detail after detail was correct. And in fact, the evidence, the historical evidence the accuracy of it that Ramsey noted convinced him to become a believer. And he actually said that Luke belongs in the first rank of ancient historians. The first rank of ancient historians. So, do you believe Josephus, or Plutarch, or Tacitus, or Suetonius? Then believe Luke. He's a historical witness to the events surrounding the resurrection. And so these eyewitnesses, and also Luke, also interviewed many other eyewitnesses. And so uh, their stories are told from the vantage point of many people who are uh, integral to the events surrounding the resurrection. And all the different details, what's remarkable about remarkable about the four Gospels is that we don't have four cookie-cutter accounts of the same thing that look like they're just copies of one another. 
what we have are unique accounts of different details told from different vantage points. Uh, some The writers leave out some details and include others, but when we put them all together, we have a well-rounded story of the uh, account of the resurrection, all agreeing to this same core account. And that is quite remarkable, to have four ancient documents written by different people, all about the same event. And so this has the makings of a true account. It's not a fairy tale or a myth or a legend, as some people allege. Um, just the nature of the writing and the fact that these four Gospels can be harmonized into a single um, account of the resurrection shows um, that this is not a myth or a legend. And so the fact of four historical accounts is powerful corroborating evidence for the resurrection. Okay, evidence number two. Evidence number two is the women's testimony. It is remarkable that Jesus first showed himself to women. And the Bible says that he first showed himself to Mary Magdalene, um, who was a, a woman who Jesus had cast out seven demons out of her. Women first came to the tomb and noted that it was empty, and then Jesus showed himself to Mary Magdalene and then to the rest of the group of women before any men had ever seen him. And the reason why this matters is because in the first century, in Roman culture, women's testimony was not considered credible, and um, uh, it was not legally binding. And so if you wanted to convince your enemy or skeptics, even your friends, of the truth of the resurrection, you would roll out the strongest witnesses you had, you would bring out the men. Why didn't Peter first see Jesus? How about the other disciples? Why was it the women? Uh, the women would have been least likely, if they were fabricating the story, um, to give credence to the story. No, it would have been the men. And so the women's testimony is powerful corroborating evidence for the resurrection. Evidence number three, and this is a powerful evidence here, the empty tomb. We know that the tomb was empty because the Pharisees concocted a cover story to cover their embarrassing failure at securing the body of Jesus. They lied and said that the disciples had stolen the body. You know, the disciples who, were, who had abandoned Jesus at his, at his crucifixion, and then who, during the resurrection day, were huddled in a locked house fearing for their lives. Yes, those disciples. Supposedly, they had stolen the body of Jesus. On top of that, the Pharisees had put an armed Roman guard outside the tomb, and they placed a seal on the stone. Um, that was covering the, uh, the tomb. And these stones were huge. They were gigantic, and they were made to roll into place and sit there. I, I believe it was like a V-type shape that the stone would roll into. They were not easily moved or rolled aside. So somehow we're to believe that these uh, fearful disciples somehow overcame the Roman guard and uh, were somehow able to move this massive stone. It just doesn't pass the, the, uh, the smell test or the red face test. It's implausible to think that 
the disciples could somehow strong-arm the guards and open the tomb and steal the body and keep it hidden, well, forever. Uh, Because to this day, Jesus' body has never been recovered. And the Pharisees and chief priests, they hated Jesus. They crucified him and put him in a grave, and they wanted to keep him there. They tried with everything, everything they could to put an end to this Jesus movement, this new uh, religious movement getting started that we know today as Christianity. They wanted to end it, and the best way to do that was to put Jesus in the grave and hold him there. But remarkably, despite their best efforts, they could not hold him there, and the easiest way for them to stamp out Christianity before it even got started would have been to recover the body drag it through the streets, or put it on display somehow and show that Jesus was a fraud and that he never rose from the dead. But you know what? They couldn't do it. And so instead, they fabricated this lie that the disciples came and stole the body. And apparently that lie was uh, propagated and, and retold well into the second century. But it's the case of the missing tomb. Where was the body of Jesus? They had every motivation to try to recover that body, and they could not. So there's no doubt from historians that a man named Jesus died on a Roman cross. He was placed in a tomb, and there's no doubt, um, based on the historical accounts that we have, that the tomb was empty. Where was the body? And so the empty tomb is powerful, corroborating evidence for the resurrection. Okay, evidence number four is the change to disciples. And the disciples, as I mentioned, had all abandoned Jesus at his crucifixion. And the disciples were doubtful and did not believe the women's testimonies. Luke tells us, and their words, when the women came to report that they had seen the resurrected Jesus alive, the men didn't believe. And Luke tells us, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. So the men were unbelieving, and not only that, but they are huddled, locked in a house, fearful of their lives. But a very short time later, a profound change happens to the disciples. The disciples would go on to become apostles. And these apostles would be bold and zealous in their faith. In fact, so bold that most of them, I think 11 out of the 12, died a martyr's death. John, it said, died of old age, but but even he wasn't treated well. He was exiled on the island of Patmos during his lifetime. But the other disciples were martyred. Uh, Tradition says that Peter was hung upside down on a cross, um, tradition says that the disciple John, or I'm sorry, the disciple James was beheaded for his faith. What would cause these men to tra- change so drastically from being fearful to now becoming zealous and bold for their faith to the point where they are willing to die a cruel death? Even Jesus' own half brother Jude um, was a skeptic before the resurrection. Jesus' brothers didn't really believe in him, but after the resurrection, we find Jude writing um, the book of Jude here in the New Testament, this epistle of Jude. It's the next to the last book of the Bible. 
And in that, he identifies himself as Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. What would it take to convince you that you needed to be your brother's servant and serve him for, with the rest of your life, even to the point of death? For Jude, it's because he saw his brother Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he himself became a believer. Were they gullible? Were they quick to believe a myth? Or did they really see Jesus alive after his death? The changed disciples is powerful corroborating evidence for the resurrection. And let me read for you what the angel said to the women here in Matthew 28, verse 6. When they first came up to the empty tomb and they're in bewilderment, looking around, thinking, where is Jesus? The angel said to them, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And so, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The resurrection is true because God said it, and because his word is corroborated by many eyewitness accounts and facts that line up to support the account. And the angel invited the women to come and see the empty tomb. And in fact, he is inviting you today to come and see. And you have to see for yourself through eyes of faith. Read the gospel accounts of the resurrection. And you have to see through the eyes of faith this empty tomb and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And it's a very reasonable faith that we have. But you need to have a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do that, if you come to faith in him, just like the disciples, he will give you new life. You will have eternal life. And he'll change your life just like he did the disciples. And I want to read one verse for you in Romans 10, verse 6, that tells us that you do have to believe the resurrection in order to be saved, in order to be received by God. This is Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and in your heart believe that he is risen indeed, just like he said, and the Bible assures us, you will be saved. That's all there is to it. You realize that? You don't have to work your whole life. Simply believe in the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus to save you. And come to him in repentance and faith, and he promises he will save you. Why not? What, it, what might be holding you back? Come to Christ and receive new life. And just like the women who ran away from the tomb, go away with a newfound awe for God and rejoicing at this resurrected Lord. May God bless you. Yeah.